just to kind of give um, the, the viewer a sense of what I'm going to do is I'm doing a self-introduction, which is sort of in a, a poetic form, and it sort of flows into an introduction to my work uh, on, a, on a bigger scale. I am Rico Sanat Whirl, I'm of the Raven Moiety and from the Shukachedi clan and from the Raven House, from Chokat Kwan. I am from my father's people, the Shungukedi. I'm from 10,000 years of a people's relationship to the land in Alaska. I'm from at least 4,000 years of a people's study of a specific design style. I am from 525 years of colonization, and more importantly, I'm from 525 years of survivance. I am from the Clinket people and the Athabascan people. I am from the dedication of the generations before me as they worked to pass the Alaska Native Claim Settlement Act. I am from a family of strong and loving people. I am from Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo with my cousins and from Star Trek and Star Wars with my homework. I am from the 90s with my homies and I'm from the rise of the age of the internet. I am from the University of Pennsylvania Department of Anthropology class of 2008. I am from urban exploration and I am from hometown downtown. I am from pigment and silver. I am from digital vector points. All these vector points that I'm from have created trajectories that have kind of guided me and my values as a creative um, today. Uh, I, I was, I once read this book called The Medici Effect, which, um, well, actually, can I, can I share my screen right now? Okay. Absolutely, yeah. Start um, doing that, I think. Okay, let me know when it's working. Yeah, there you go. Working. Okay. Great. And you can click. You can click it. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Um, so in this in this book, the Medici effect, the the author kind of talks about something called that he terms the intersection, and um, he argues that the the biggest ideas and innovations uh, in history came from uh, intersections between fields and and disciplines and um, the book's named that because he does a lot of kind of references to the Medici family in Italy who kind of uh, put in a lot of effort to kind of bolster those inter intersections between artists, between science, scientists, financiers, philosophers, like all kinds of fields. And, um, and I think that the intersections of where I am have brought me to like, um, well, sorry. The, so another thing I want to talk about is kind of the intersections of the, the image before us. Um, indigenous people have like often explored the the theme of intersection. You know, it, it's it's often been referred to as walking in two worlds. Um, so this image here is uh, my my family used to. I'm from a family of entrepreneurs and designers. My my family used to run Alaska Native News Magazine, and this is one of the covers that they did. You can see it's uh, from 1983, so it's not a topic that's like um, that's that's new for us to be exploring. Um, uh, and this is Nelson. Angapuk, uh, he's wearing a suit and looking in the mirror, seeing himself in more of a traditional um, outfit. Um, and these these intersections for me have kind of brought me to um, 
to a, a few different kind of core cultural values, core, not cultural values, but core kind of goals that I work from. I, I ended up getting my, my uh, undergrad degree in anthropology. So a lot of the stuff that I'll kind of the framework that I talk about when, when I when I approach my artwork and design work is is from the sort of lens of anthropology and um so um let me see after college actually I I, I worked for Sea Alaska Heritage Institute for a little bit and um did some repatriation work and uh and more kind of like that anthropology style work and research, um, which kind of, which, which helped me bring the lessons I learned during my anthropology, you know, years studying at University of Pennsylvania into, into, into a community context. And so the first main goal I, I work from is the, the concept, concept of intra-community strength. So, um, this is sort of a, talking about how um, you know I'm I'm creating products specifically in artworks and designs specifically to kind of empower indigenous people to give people items of 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 everyday pride. Um, you know we've got I, we've got things of 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 you know, monumental pride, such as, you know, in the, in the image there, you can see the, the totem poles in the background, you know, these, these epic pieces that speak to this, this, this long lineage of, of history and art and culture. Um, and then up front here is, is kind of, this, this is an object that I often refer to as a startup trickster company, uh, uh, which is a big project I have going on all the time. Um, this was my, this was my, uh, own personal longboard after I um, returned home from college. It was just a hobby that I had learning, teaching myself how to, how to longboard. Um, and I ended up painting my clan crest on there because to me it was important to be able to represent something in an everyday, day-to-day -day context, a context that to me was, um, it was, it it was kind of definitive in a, in, a, in a better sense than just my clan crest, you know, it's something that represented me as a modern person living my life today. Um, I, I did end up making one for my cousin, which you can see on the, on the right there. Um, and has the more of a chokat style to it, uh, where, which is a sort of, uh, I mentioned in my introduction, I'm from the Chilkat people, which is a kind of a region of, of or a yeah, region of of within the Clinket people and a and a group of people. Um, and it kind of it kind of a lot of the artwork um, that Trickster Company went into really did become these items of of um, cultural pride for people just in, in their day-to-day -day context. Um, so that's always been important to me. I think um, uh, I create to bring back a small fraction of like the, the market share of our identity to our communities, our, our strength as a, um, uh, as a people comes from within. And so like being able to carry those little pieces I think are important day-to-day. 
Um, so, uh, and at this point, I kind of want to mention this term survivance. It's a, it's a term coined by Anishinaabe cultural theorist Gerald Bisner. And surviving is more than mere survival. It means to tell of an active presence and a rich facet continuance. And um, so I create both as an active survivance for myself, but as well as a tool for kind of collective survivance. Um, the, the, the second goal that I really work towards is inner community connection. So uh, creating cross-cultural understanding and, and empathy is, I think it's 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 vital in our diverse communities and and the future is diverse. So it's I think it's urgent that we all have strong bridges for sharing social capital. Um, if you look at the level of appropriation in the fashion industry, you'll see pretty clearly that that indigenous design is popular. It's um, uh, and, I, and I often design with the idea that things uh, may can be consumed by anyone, giving anyone the opportunity to appreciate Northwest Coast style art without appropriating it. Making um, design accessible fosters authentic appreciation and respect between communities. Um, and then the third kind of major goal that I work towards is culture, cultural diplomacy. Um, both as a brand and, you know, both personally and through Trickster Company, we have the opportunity to be visible. And so we also have the responsibility to represent um, modern Alaska Native people. Uh, a major goal we have in our diplomacy is to kind of combat the myth of the vanishing Indian and that Native Americans were something that existed only in the past. Um, some of the design work, such as our Star Wars stuff, relates to um, show the world that we're here today and we're engaged in the stories that we hear today. Um, and I guess I, I, I do this work because where I'm from is filled with um, hundreds of generations of people who worked hard for their communities, who built strong roots for the future to grow from. And my my culture and community has carried me and uplifted me. And I want to be able to 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 keep growing those those roots for the next generation to come. Um, uh, speaking of of cultural diplomacy, um, the. The, the, the NPR thing recently was a was a huge opportunity to kind of represent. Um, and oops, that one was supposed to be earlier. The playing cards were were a big thing too. Um, uh, that I wanted to talk about. That I kind of got the slide out of out of place. Sorry about that. But um, you know, Juno. Is, I I live in Juno currently and. There's about a there, there used to be anyways um, a million plus tourists that came through every year and there's a huge market of um, knockoff native art and so um, you know I, part of part of the brand that I created is is to try and return some of that market share as well and be able to represent our own stories to to that tourist market. Um, I, after this, I kind of have like. A bunch of random slides. I, I don't know if. Um, yeah, totally. I'm we're we're all ears, all eyes. It's such a privilege <laughs> to be with you. Cool. Um, but feel after this point, just feel free to jump in and ask any you know questions. Um, sure. I, I, okay. 
Um, did you have any questions for that first part? Um, I'm fascinated that you um, chose to study anthropology, and I'm I and I'm sure that that must have engaged, um, you know, a, a critical perspective about how. Um, or just the tendency towards sort of nativism and exoticization of Native Americans. And, and, and it must have really cultivated your, your critical stance and this, this, this desire to um, everything from cultural diplomacy to regaining kind of a market share, as, as you say, of like that um, identity um, proliferation through, through the market system. Yeah, I, I I ended up there because, well, it was a it was sort of an um, my grandma's an anthropologist, so she naturally had a lot of influence with me, and um, I learned a lot from her growing up. The way that she uh, would would talk about kind of challenges that our community faces. Um, and even just the, like any family member over the dinner table is almost always conversations about challenges that we face as communities and how we approach, approach finding solutions for them. Um, and, and so it just kind of like, it was just kind of a path that just kind of came together and the opportunities lined up and, uh, to be able to study at, at UPenn with that, with that as my major. Is the way that you did the way that you were taught make sense to you? Did it fit with the sort of things that I, I mean, having a grandmother like Rosita Wuerl is, is, is sort of like going to school and already having like a bachelor, <laughs> you know, in anthropology and 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 culture. I, I dare say. So, did it make sense to you? Did it fit with the worldview that that was growing in you already? In a in a um, in some in a very. Uh, conflicted way yes because there's 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 a conflicted relationship between anthropology and Native America um you know it's I was talking with someone recently about the the concept of 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 anthropology kind of defining uh other cultures and using a Western context to define those cultures. So it's a, it's sort of a weird backwards thing to be an indigenous person and go learn this Western system to kind of outline your own cultural system. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's kind of weird and it creates like these weird um, internal things where you kind of question back and forth, like what does it mean to, to engage in this this colonial system, this colonial like science and apply it to yourself. Um, but it, you know, it, it definitely was, I think my, my, my grandma actually does quote once in a while that I once told her, I was like, grandma, why is it that when I'm with you, I always feel like I'm in school. Like, <laughs> and so, you know, there was this, 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 she did train me to be able to work within that system very well. So it did give me that, um, the kind of context or the, I don't know if the context were the, 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 the way to be able to critically view, um, 
the and to be able to critically view and engage with with that Western education system. Um, at the same time, she would tell me things like, "Oh, don't read um, this." This like I think. Um, Vine, some Vine Deloria books. She's like, don't read these until you finish school because then, then I'll get maybe a little too jaded about, <laughs> about uh, kind of assessing what anthropology brings to the table for myself as a person learning, uh, getting an education. And um, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. definitely a mixed, mixed bag. Sure. As we, as we look at some more of those images that you've prepared for us, I'm curious, um, to ask you if you envisioned yourself going into this powerful combination of arts and entrepreneurship or even design, had you thought yourself an artist heading into anthropology? Um, no, I, I actually have did not consider my art, myself an artist until about two or three years ago. Um, and if you're familiar with the timeline of Trickster Company, I, that Trickster Company started maybe building the brand about eight years ago. Um, so there's sort of a disconnect there. I, I actually, um, after I got my degree and I came back home and I was working for Sealska Heritage Institute um, and then working on NAGPRESTA, which is Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, which, is, which was enacted to um, help tribes bring home cultural objects um, from museums and whatnot um, throughout the United States. Um, and so I was, I was doing a lot of anthropology work and, and cultural research and history research. Um, and I thought I was going more into the line of, of law as, as I had, I have a copy of like, I think it's like Black's Law Dictionary or something like that <laughs> somewhere around. And um, I, I have no idea what happened. I, I guess being surrounded by the art and, and and being having the kind of the opportunity to be around a lot of those older cultural objects uh, in museums, it just I guess it just um, influenced me kind of deeply. And um, all along, I had been, you know, doing creative things because. I think being a creative person being uh, is is integral to being part of the culture. You know, creativity is around us all the time. Um, for Clinket culture, if you look at any any item, there's some uh, there's some artwork on it. So it's like there was there was always you know traditionally there was always create creativity applied to our day to day. And so I actually didn't consider myself particularly or especially creative or um, or an artist. Uh, my sister was was always, she always, I think, knew she was going to be an artist and everybody knew she was going to be an artist. And, um, and, and I was just more of a uh, kind of a, maybe a dork, like a nerdy kind of person studying anthropology and, 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 and business. Um, and your sister Crystal is a co-owner of Trickster Company with you, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So may we look at one of the next images you had set up for us? And yeah. I'm, I'm curious to know when did you start studying um, 
Well, let me say this. Uh, my first question is, is there a, is there a word in Clinkit for art? I don't know. You know, that, that's a, that's a, that's a good question because um, it's, it's one that gets asked a lot, especially for Clinkit artists as well. Um, I, I don't know the word for art and I, and more intriguing though, is that a lot of like formline design is such a technical art form. Um, if you look at this design, um, uh, let me see if I could, okay. So I'm doing this because so I could bring up the mouse. Um, this shape here, it looks yeah. like it's, it's an eye. Um, this shape is called, we call it now, we call it an ovoid. Um, and every single, and you can see there's a big ovoid here and there's a bigger ovoid here. Um, there's one cut off here. And, and a lot of times um, the, the, the master artist will tell you some version of this. They'll, they'll call it like mother ovoid maybe. Um, and, and that's because every single, every single line in this piece um, comes from a specific primary ovoid, which was first placed on any form line design piece. So I'm gonna, okay. So this background here, um, this part here is called the primary ovoid for this design. It was the first ovoid I drew when I, when I drew all this and every other piece of, of form flows from that one. And it's also defines, it also ends up defining like the, 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 the maximum width of, of the form line and it defines how sharp the corners are. Um, so every other piece this is that flows off of it references the mother ovoid. So it's, you know, just hearing me talk about this form line here, it's clear that there's a lot of like technical relationships between all these forms. Um, but but we don't we don't you know no one has been able to come up with or remember what the word is for ovoid you know the, the most foundational design element of form line and so you know there's a lot of theories about it it's like some people are like oh well maybe we just called it that shape or whatever you know or, or some people have theorized that that being an artist was part of being a a, a secret society where that 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 jargon was kind of contained within that society and maybe um, uh, for whatever reasons, parts of the trauma or whatever of, of colonization, those societies didn't pass on those terminologies or whatnot. Um, so I don't know what the word for art is and, and I know that there's a lot of missing parts there. So that so maybe the the verbal in terms of verbal language that is missing but what's interesting is you're speaking to the continuity and persistence of the visual language right mm -hmm. yeah and and when did you start to learn this visual language uh like i said it's it's integral to the culture so it's always been around us and you know i grew up wearing you know pieces of regalia that my uh family would would asked me to wear during ceremony. So I, it was always visually like present. It was always like being um, provided to me in that way. I, I probably didn't, 
and and because it was so impermeated in me, you know, I, would, I was naturally just drawing parts of it here and there, you know, in my my notes during school on the side margins or be ovoids or something, little U-shapes, little creatures. Um, but I, I wouldn't say I formally started studying it until um, until after college. Would you take us through some of these images that you sort of set up in the presentation following the backsides of those um, skateboards? Yeah. Um, so this one's a, I, I referenced Star Wars in, in my I am from thing where um, I, I, I am from Star Wars and I am from Star Trek with my homework. I, I grew up like when I come home from school, a lot of times I just put on, you know, usually by the time I got home from school, there's usually Star Trek on TV and I'd, I'd watch, you know, the next generation. Um, and then, and then after that, I would just put on Star Wars, you know, while I was doing whatever my chores around the house. Um, so it has a lot of influence on, on a lot of work that I've done. So this is a, a series of, of lightsabers from Star Wars. Um, and, and it was just a playful piece. It doesn't, you know, have much to do other than kind of, um, well, it's a playful piece, but like I, like I said in the beginning, the main goal of it was to kind of represent the modernity of indigenous people, the fact that we are engaged in culture today. And it seems also like a moment where you're indigenizing something that's sort of American vernacular. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I, I think it's, it's, it's a way, you know, indigenizing something is, is a way for us to like, engage in something culturally you know like it's almost like a a translation or filter from uh learning you know being able to just raw appreciate star wars to like how do we imagine this through through our lives how does it like how do we want to play you know in our imagination with that idea you know like if we're if 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 kids watch star wars and pretend to be a Jedi with a lightsaber, what does their lightsaber look like? Who designed their lightsaber? I think, I think is, is, is another question I would, you know, like asked. Um, I think uh, a, a lot of times I'll kind of, cons I'll, I kind of sometimes mix up my kind of self identifications of artist or designer. Um, and I, so that's another question I bring up is like, who designs the things that we use and who are they designed for? My question kind of interrupted you, but I do want you to just keep following that, this inquiry that you set up visually with, with these images. Yeah, so I think uh, going back a little further into diving into that like concept of, of um, design and, and intersection um, and the fact that um, I never really considered myself an artist until much more recently. Um, I did first consider myself a designer before I considered myself an artist. And um, the, the key difference is that like uh, designers approach things from a problem and search to find a solution. And I think a lot of artists do this too, but designers 
solely kind of approach it from that direction. Um, and I think that my anthropology background kind of helped me illuminate what are the problems and my designer approach through art and design is, is what creates the products. Um, in my in my path as a as a designer, um, one of the current, I spent a lot of time working on the the two learning form line in two dimensions, and you know applying it to to, to solutions such as the playing cards, um, bringing those to a tourist market that's dominated by knockoff art, um, and then recently I've been working a lot on uh, CAD, which is computer aided design, so three D modeling things, trying to bring my designs from 2D, two dimensions into three dimensions. Um, this is a, so on right here is, I, I CAD this design and uh, self-teaching in Fusion 360, and then I had it cast in, in steel. Um, and then I was refurbishing a grill that somebody had gifted me earlier this summer. So I kind of like tried to use that skill sets that I'm teaching myself as a, as a way to kind of like, um, I guess adorn this piece that I was, I was just, a, you know, again, back to the day-to-day -day representation, like um, I was uh, just trying to do something that to represent my day-to-day. -day. Um, this, oops, and, and continuing along that design route, um, this on the bottom left is what's called a, a shoe tag or a lace lock or a Dubray. Um, Nike kind of like blew them up. This is from the Air Force One shoe. And so um, this is kind of what my work process looks like right now. Um, so I'm, I'm actually working on creating my own shoe tags right now. Um, I, I kind of am excited about the, so this is kind of like an intersection with, with fashion, um, uh, design and fashion. So it's, it's a way for me to kind of bring multiple lessons that I've been studying into the work that I'm doing and be able to well, also make a living off of it. So there you can kind of see that I, I created this shape. And this is actually the where the shape is at right now, um, kind of all, all catted out. And then I have this cast into silver. And I actually have one on the a copper one right next to me on the desk here that I'm now engraving. Um, this, is, this is a style of en engraving that I do. Um, I don't have a picture, unfortunately, of the Dubray where they're at, but this is style engraving that I'll apply to to that shape um, to be put onto 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 shoes. Um, wow. Yeah. So it's a lot of a lot of like each product on its own is is has its own little like meaning or little place in the things that I'm working on, but. Um, pretty much all of them, I can kind of like trace it back to those three kind of core goals. And so there's a little bit of my, my uh, jewelry work 
Um, the one on the left here is actually done in, in CAD as well. And then, because uh, you can't see it here, but this is actually a really thick piece of metal. Um, it's, so it's a hairbrush and it's about three or four millimeters thick. And so it's not really a, a thickness that you can really cut through easily, especially with this fine level of detail. So I often integrate technology. So whether it's 3D printing, which made these ones, or uh, this one's CNC milled out. So using that technology to kind of mill out the prongs of the, of the brush. Um, and then I would engrave it afterwards. Um, this one on the right is more hand cuts of the top right. I kind of hand cut it, but that's a thinner, thinner mineral. So it's, it's much more accessible to like, kind of, um, to be able to cut by hand. Um, yeah. Uh, there's just a couple other more recent works. Um, and then uh, I do this thing called tiny stickers where they're like one inch in size. You kind of get a better scale of one here. Um, so one, this is sort of a project which I'm doing, which is uh, COVID changed the world for everybody. And this is one of the little things that I'm doing to kind of help keep myself sane is I, I, to keep myself sane and also to like help me be, um, you know, financially stable. I, I started a Patreon account. So um, every month I, I create a new tiny sticker and then all my patrons, um, get access to that process and, and early access to the, the stickers themselves and um, get to help me make decisions about which design they're gonna make. And um, so that was the first one I did the Raven. I did an Eagle as well. And this last month I did a, a little seal, a little um, illustration. They're both, they're all about that one inch size. Um, and that was kind of in response to, uh, we actually had to, to shut down our brick and mortar shop earlier this year um, because that tourist industry is gone. But here's some images of what, what the shop looked like. We're, we're all online right now. Um, that's, that's not gonna be a permanent closure in your mind, is it? Or do you know? Um, I don't know. You know, I, I've always kind of like, um, Trickster Company, like I think I mentioned earlier, like I thought I was going into law school and I don't know what happened. And now I run a business and do all kinds of design and artwork. And I've always kind of um, followed along almost with Trickster Company. And so, um, you know, I, I, I think it'd be nice for us to have a shop in the future, but I'm not, you know, like stuck on the idea. There's, um, so I don't know, we'll see. You've grown the business enough that that online presence is pretty viable, I guess. It's yeah. I mean, there's definitely things I have to give up when I when I don't have a shop. Um, but there's also things you gain. You know, a shop is 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 a lot of work in itself, and um, the quantities are different. You know, there's much higher quantities you have to work with, and um, there's a little less flexibility with I have to actually be in Juno to make sure that everything's running smoothly there. So it's it's. I'm I'm letting myself kind of be flexible with 
what the future brings and um, a, a shop, I think eventually maybe we'll come back. I'm not sure when or what it'll look like though. Uh, but yeah, a lot of stuff is online right now. So this is this, this is my Instagram where you know I, re I I recommend people follow me there because it's sort of like my um, a little bit like my portfolio. Um, I try to do post a lot of process work there, such as the video playing now. Um, give people insight into what I'm going to be working on, and 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 it's also a great place to engage with a lot of other artists. Um, there's a pretty good community of of Clinket artists, and we all kind of uh, support each other. I was, um, yeah. So that one there on the right, that little sketch that I did was, I just launched this print, which is called Jump Jump, um, which also sort of speaks to experience of being a person in the time of COVID-19. It's sort of like uh, two salmon jumping out of the water and kind of, it, it started off as just a, it's more of a technical thing where I wanted to experiment. What does it feel like to design something detailed and intricate like the salmon, but also include very broad strokes of form line, such as the border. So contrasting the bold form line and the more intricate form line together. And um, the design itself kind of reflects that feeling to want to be able to fly, to be free, to play. Um, I think that all of us are kind of aching for and to be together. Um, and the last image is, of course, the stamps, which are the thing that's blowing up right now on my feeds. <laughs> um, this was actually from maybe, so this project for me is blowing up now, but was a project from two years ago. I is is when the the art director kind of approached me and 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 uh, when these sketches that are on the photo on the left start coming about, um, and of course they're supposed to launch last year, but or this year, but um, again COVID changed everything, so postponed till this year, this coming year. Could you nudge the image so that the stamp oh. image is a little bit bigger? I'm not sure if others are experiencing a, a little gray square that seems to knock out part of your image there on the right. Oh, okay. Oops. Let me... And when you say art director, you're speaking of um, the person who might work in design procurement for the United States Postal Service? Or... Yeah. The... Perfect, thank you. The USPS has its own, like, um, they have a, a, a selection committee for their stamps and they kind of set the agenda or the, 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 the goal for every year for the stamps. And then the art directors kind of take those goals. And this is how it was explained to me. I, I mean, I hope I do it. You know, I, I don't know exactly how it works, but like, as far as I understand, the art directors then take that direction and work with artists and designers from across the country to to kind of bring those those things into stamp form. They contacted you. It sounds like. Yeah. The and so the art director that that contacted me, Antonio Alcala, um, ended up discovering our work 
at um, Trickster Company, myself and my sister, at the National Museum of the American Indian. And, and um, I actually, you know, everybody, like I've been getting all kinds of interviews all over the place. And I pretty much told everybody to interview him as well. And actually the most recent article in um, Native News Online, I appreciated that she was the only one, the first one actually went and interviewed him. And um, he said that the reason it stuck out to him was he was in that, um, that that gift shop and there was you know all kinds of great art in there of course um but he really was drawn to the to the sense of modernity in the artwork that we presented there it is amazing how foreign line design with your innovation really um references even it, it or you could say modernity references you know, customary designs like Formline, actually, um, you know, dating back to even its roots in Art Deco. There's some interesting resonance that, that's actually building upon customary design. And, and I, I suppose some people will look at it the other way and think that there's, that, a, you know, contemporary designer like yourself is, is referencing modernity, but, but actually it's probably <laughs> the opposite. <laughs> Yeah, I I actually think that I'm I'm actually consider myself like a I'm not I'm I'm more of a student of Formline like I you know and so every piece that I create is just kind of like a a practice piece and um I think that you know I I am trying to always represent the idea that there is it's a, it's a, a there's a continuity of conversation between, you know, myself as a modern person and the old masters who I, I studied, you know, like their work in the museums and whatnot, and the context of just being everyday modern person. So it's like a, it's definitely a conversation between all those, those parts. When you, um, Tell us a little bit about the design development from the perspective of the narrative invoked by this image. This is this is the moment when Raven steals the moon and stars, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so we started off with with kind of exploring the idea of of maybe we would have multiple stamp designs that kind of went a little bit more across the arc of the story, um, and. So the story I'm referencing is Raven in the Box of Daylight. It's it's a it's a pretty um, kind of almost like foundational story for for um, as a as a trickster story as a as a Raven story for Clinket people. Um, but I I I really did I, I did choose to focus in on in the end along with the, the art director we kind of chose to focus in on on this design out of the series. Um, and I, I'm glad that that it kind of went, you know, if they were gonna select one, I was happy about this one being selected because of the the way it represented the drama of the story and the excitement and a little bit of the chaos, which I, I wanted to like, which I think are, are good elements of any story in any culture. And, um, you know, whether it's, you know, and so I wanted that level of relatability to be 
accessible to anybody who viewed it. Could you summarize the story enough to help people appreciate the drama of this particular moment in the yeah. story? Yeah, let, um, let me try and do that real quick. As I look at the design, you know, it's, it's so incredibly dynamic in its spare elements, the black and white and the mm. little bit of yellow. Yeah. Um, well, let me come back to that and I'll tell an abbreviated version of the story. So okay. one thing I want to note is that, um, you know, for me, this is, it, it was a big opportunity for, I want people to, to have kind of the stamp be a gateway for their own path of learning about Clinket culture and Clinket stories. And, um, I am not a storyteller, so I can only give you this abbreviated, like, version of it and and i i, I do want to later i'll kind of post and uh i'm gonna work with a storyteller lily hope to kind of help me tell the story um or help the story be told in a, in a in a more appropriate context um but i i do hope people like you know do their own research talk to you know make their own connections to people within the culture and and learn from it um, so, uh, Raven, and I have this posted on, on my website as well, like this abbreviated version. So other people can go read it there as well. And a little bit more, um, Raven is the trickster. A long time ago, there was no celestial light sources. People lived in darkness and Raven heard of a chieftain who owned a collection of items of great light, things which would light up the world. Raven decided to become part of, of this household. Raven is a transformer. He transformed into a pine needle and the chieftain's daughter drank him. Uh, I, I wrote down, drank him in a glass of water when I first wrote this. Well, anyways. Um, and then she became pregnant. Nine months later, she gave birth to baby Raven. In the child's youth, he loved the boxes of family treasure, which held the sun, the moon, and the stars. He cried to play with them. He begged to play with them. With time, the grandfather could, could, say no, could not say no any longer. Raven was allowed to play with the box of stars. Not long after, he freed the stars. Raven was in big trouble. He cried. He cried for forgiveness. And after time, he asked to play with the next box. Raven promised not to open the second box, but he did. The moon was free. Raven cried. He cried for forgiveness. A grandparent's love is immeasurable. He let Raven play with the box of daylight. Raven brought the sun, the moon, and the stars to the universe. So I gloss over a lot of details in that story with this like abbreviated version and, and don't do it any justice. Um, but this moment is kind of the moment when Raven, um, you know, who has planned this heist, essentially, uh, makes his, his first move on the box, the first box, the box of stars. Um, a lot of what the story about is about is, is sort of um, the relationship between, um, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say eagles and ravens. Um, Clinket society is divided into two halves, 
to matrilineal society, you're either born into the, the eagle side or the raven side. And in this story, the chieftain would be, so the grandfather of, of Raven uh, would be the opposite side. And so, um, which is often referred to as um, kind of like the, the outermost, the outermost shell of a person. Um, and so there is this relationship be- between those opposites that is, that kind of like um, it kind of cements and it kind of like gives form the way that 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 the ovoid kind of gives form to to form line as an art style. That 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 relationship, that technical relationship between clans gives that that form for relationship between family members of opposite sides. And so it's about that that love that you cannot. It's that that immeasurable love for your your grandchildren or your family, your opposite, the side that uplifts you, that protects you, um, and this is this this design kind of uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. <laughs> It's, it's powerful because you've told a story in your own development about the powerful influence of your grandmother. Um, and then you're telling a story through this image of, you know, the grandparents' immeasurable love that that's raven on a course of kind of the next layer of, of existence, moving from the box into like the universe as we know it, starting to build um, this, this bigger space that we know freeing, you know, you have to, setting free those you love, you know, and yeah. letting them start to create the world. Yeah. <laughs> so this stamp is gonna come out in 2021. It, it was postponed apparently. Yeah, it, uh, it'll come out in 2021. We don't know a specific date yet. Um, that, I, I just recommend people follow me on social media because I'll post it as soon as I know a date. Um, I think we'll do a, I think they're talking about doing a ceremony um, in collaboration with Sea Alaska Heritage at some point. Yeah. Wow, it's super exciting. And apparently you're the flir- the first Plinkett artists to have a have a stamp is that true? Yeah, I think you know when, when I when the stamp was first kind of like approved by USPS and whatnot, people were wondering um, how many Native American designers have designed stamps, and so that they think that as far as you know, without actually having a, like somebody actually do this historical record of it, like they think that there's been native designers that have designed stamps, but not necessarily um, with the purpose of of representing native stories. More like, you know, a designer was uh, working on context that was outside of specifically representing indigenous st- story. So. As far as we can tell, we're you know the, this is one of the first 
native, if not, or, and probably first Alaska native stamps designed. It's quite an honor. It is. It's really quite incredible. It's an honor for, for Alaska. It's an honor for the Tilkat Clinket for, you know, your family and community. Yeah, thank you. So um, what do you think this opportunity as an artist and as a Clinket artist um, has, has taught you about a Clinket story or Clinket values that are really relevant and important to the world today? I know it's a big question, but I really gets at why you would choose this image and why it's important to share it, really. Um, well, for me, I think the experience is, you know, like I said, I, for me, the, the important part was that people would, um, that I'd be able to read, I knew it would reach people outside of Clinket culture on a, on a very big scale. And so I wanted it to be a gateway for people to have the opportunity to learn more about Clinket culture, Native American culture, Alaska Native culture. Um, and interestingly for me, the, a lot of the lessons that I've learned out of it is, and it, which I've really enjoyed is, is um, the nature of, of kind of oral history is that everybody tells the story a little different. Um, and I've learned a lot of like kind of nuanced details from people that have kind of other clinket people that have come and kind of given me their perspective about the story or that moment in the story or, um, or, or what they perceived as, as different lessons within the story. And, um, so it's been, you know, it's it's always a blessing to to learn more in that kind of way, and it's also a blessing to be able to feel that, even with all these differences, everyone of us knew, you know, what was important about the story and important about getting that story out there. So. I think it culture embraces the sort of diversity of ways in which the story can be told and it's still considered, is it, that, that's what you're saying. Mm -hmm. it's, still, it's still true. Yeah. It's still relevant. Yeah. I think there's, there's an interesting power in, in oral history too, is, is you can tell the same story multiple times and it could address different issues every time you tell that same story. So, you know, I've talked about this story really being about, you know, a grandparent's immeasure, immeasurable love or about that, that, the opposite side um, and, and the way that we support and care for each other. Um, but, you know, somebody else could tell it in a different context and it will have just as much power, but it'll have, it'll have different meaning. It'll have different, context and so i think it's interesting to think about how how a story a story's power especially when when it's an oral you know tradition can can be can transform almost the way that that raven does 
Yes. In Western tradition, there's a lot of um, tendency. I remember growing up with Aesop's fables, which would end with the moral of the story is blank. Mm -hmm. And so when it's written, that's kind of inscribed and retained and that's pushed forward. But when it's told orally, what you're speaking to is the value of twisting and adapting its meaning in the positive sense to be relevant to the storyteller and to the time in which it is. I think that I, I often try and tell people that um, Raven as a trickster character is, is something that it, it's a, it, he's a, he's a being that empowers people, you know, it empowers community. And, um, and it empowers anybody because anybody can tell that story. And, um, and it can adapt every time the story is told. And it's certainly it's, it's true for Raven, but that, that must be true for all of the stories within, you know, your culture. I think so. So knowing your stories is like a set of, it seems to me like it's a set of tools. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's, that's really, um, that's really powerful. We have some folks who joined us and some of them are listeners and some of them are storytellers too. I, I just wonder if anybody who's joined us would like to ask a, a question, Abrico. I want to ask a question, Abrico. Hey, Nathan. Hey, um, well, so I, I had a ton of questions, but maybe some of them are, are, are better left for a private conversation. Um, I'm finding, I don't know why I'm finding this fascinating at the moment, but it's the way um, you're representing yourself in, in, in your presentation and in your person. Uh, I had always thought of you like very deeply as an artist for, for years and, and the, the images and the work you chose to show very much represent yourself as like this magnificent designer that has these artistic elements built into it. So it's it's kind of, I'm having a hard time getting to my questions of you because in, in my mind, one of the most significant things I've seen you do is that site-specific work in Juno where you made like the, uh, the crosswalk. Um, I, I, I don't know why for me that that one like says Rico to me so much more than say your basketballs uh, in, in the way, I, I don't, I, is there a connection you have to the site specific work that's not the connection you have to say the skateboards and the playing cards? <laughs> um, let's see. Um, I could, there's always, there's almost always a way that I could trace it back to, to those three kind of core goals. And I, I would say 99.5% of, of my work, whether it's a basketball or, you know, a large scale, you know, in the concrete, in an intersection art piece that, that, that really is about, about those kind of things. That piece I actually, 
the way that one came about is I actually went to that when I, when they asked me to to work on the intersection. Um, actually, for people that let me pull it up real quick, just so people uh, can can see it. I'll screen share. So I don't use Zoom very much, so I'm kind of like awkward at. So I'm trying to find that the image of that intersection. So, but the the intersection, I I actually went out to that intersection and I just sat there for an entire day to figure out kind of what would be appropriate out there. And here's the sketch of it. Is that big enough? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um. So that's the sketch of that intersection, which is. Um, right in downtown Juneau, and um, I, the thing that I really distilled out of my kind of day trip out there was this intersection is is if you're in downtown Juneau, you you almost have to go through this intersection. No matter where you're going, you almost end up going through this intersection. And so, for me, it was almost like this. Um, well, there's this concept called um, ish. As you can see, I kind of I named the piece the the piece Ish and Flow. Um, Ish is a is a place in a stream where salmon rest uh, when they're going upstream. So when they're going to spawn, there's certain parts where the water kind of like slows down, and 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 groups of of salmon kind of gather there and rest as they get ready to go to their next destination. So um, this. Ish and flow was was about me observing, just seeing my own community, just walk through this place. You know, people people saw me and they stopped to talk to me. You know, like they're, whether they're they're going somewhere or they're just out for a walk to relax themselves. And um, so this design, uh, you can see these little symbols kind of represent salmon, which ended up being kind of embedded, stamped into the concrete. I wanted it to be a lot about kind of this bigger sense of flow, this uh, feeling of movements with these bigger arcs um, using form line elements, but not necessarily being form line um, just because, well, because it was, well, because the medium is, is difficult, you know, working with, to get these designs in concrete, I had to work with construction companies that lay concrete, not necessarily like sculptors or anything. Um, and so, um, and then this corner kind of right now, there's some house posts out there. Those three house posts, which did make it out there, um, was kind of like one of the corners that people really kind of stopped in. Um, so I put a lot of little fish in there kind of representing that, that maybe this is one of those ish places. Um, so it really, again, was for me kind of a, a, that inter-community inter connection, that message of like, you know, this is this is native land and there's some native values embedded in it, but we're, we're all a community that crosses through here. I don't know if that answers your question, Nathan. <laughs> uh, it more than answers my question. I felt like my question was maybe a little unfair, uh, the way it was going. I, I, I just see so much of, um, you know, like all that Northwest Coast cultures, I, you know, obviously your Clinket culture, but there's just such a deep history of, say, site-specific thinking 
and art making together and then in like the quotidian objects like every object is imbued with art and and i'm starting to like just it, it hadn't occurred to me before so i feel like half ashamed that i hadn't noticed the way you would you would approach that so i'm, I'm like crazy fascinated at the moment I mean, to, to be fair, I kept a lot of this stuff pretty close to the vest, like through a lot of my career. And in fact, I didn't really talk about my motives because I wanted it to just like, you know, a trickster company. I I hardly even put my name on a lot of that, on, on a lot of the work that comes out of that, just because I it wasn't really about me or like my goals as much as the experience of it for people. I gotta say, as far away as Anchorage, that's those are like some of those basketballs and prized possessions by kids. And, and I'm dead serious. Like that, this Love is it. a big thing for them that they have this. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. I appreciate your question, Nathan. It was a really great opportunity to see um, your design work applied to you know the urban problem of intersections, and you your ideas, um, Rico, about elevating the experience of ish, of, of pausing, and just kind of like taking in that moment of rest. Um, that's powerful. That's really a cultural um, perspective that you're indigenizing a public space with, <laughs> I dare say. Mm. It's exciting. Thank you so much for joining us today. There's a lot I'll be thinking about. It's oh, tremendously um, valuable to hear you and to be able to share through a format like this with others. There's such generosity at the heart of your work and uh, pride. And uh, yeah, we've got a trickster basketball, which has been a prized possession for, for years. And um, for all of us, you know, in the family, but thank you. And well, thanks, thank you. Nathan, for, for joining us and Enrica. Really you. a um, pleasure. Uh, can I just like occupy a minute? Rico, I just want to thank you so much. My brain is exploding. And your introduction of introducing yourself through thousands and thousands of years of what is you. And then you've taken me us on this journey of this incredible history and where you came and how you've been lifted into like you're a continuum of where you have gone beyond a brick and mortar beyond you know digital CAD it's like you're so fluid having taken this history and moved into the future that I'm, I'm trying to wrap my brain around how one takes tradition and history and you've gone like beyond, you know, beyond modernity. I, there is, I don't even have a, I'm still wrapping my brain around that of, and how can, I, I, I don't even, I don't have that history at all, but I don't even have the capability of thinking out into the future like you have. Um, and I just wanted to ask again about that word survivance or survivant. Um, assert, can you restate that? I, I'm just. Yeah, so uh, Joe Visner's kind of like concept with that is 
is there's been in a lot of especially anthropology kind of history there's been a lot of talk about like native people surviving yeah um but surviving is 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 it's just so such a minuscule thing that's just a small part of what we want and who we are and um so survivance was kind of you know i i don't have the the definition here with me but the way that I feel about it is is that it is more inclusive so it includes sort of like um kind of like there is the, the resilience that we bring and that helps us with survival but like um the the resilience is often embedded in like more the this the celebration the the then you know making sure we have you know it's we have to make sure we have food on the table but it's not about that it's more about like celebrating how we bring the food to the table it's more about celebrating the fact that when we get to the table we have each other at the table um so it's it just kind of brings that greater context to survival i'm also hearing within the word survivance words like um persistence, resistance, endurance. Um, And so it's really like a post, it's a postmodern term, kind of relative to what you said, Rika, about moving past modernity. It's um, a term that speaks to the persistence of um, Clinkett culture and Clinkett time, and maybe other, certainly other um, indigenous times you know, time constructs, but um, even um, Jacques Derrida denoted it as a spectral existence that would be neither life nor death, but just it's this persistence of, of right. time. Continuum, continuum yes. of, yeah. yeah. And, and that's so, that's so important today when, um, when, you know, people might take um, a sentimentalizing or really restricted and historical view of culture instead of seeing how it moves forward. And so you're you're literally creating these objects that move out and bounce around on playgrounds and slide through streets and rivers flowing outward of, of cars and people, in a sense, um, imbuing that value. Right. And how water seeks a place anywhere, you know, you can't hold water back. So it will find its way. And it's so strong, it punches through if, if it's, and that's what I'm finding Mm -hmm. in your work. And there was something else I wanted to say, and it completely slipped my mind, darn it. Um, But it's, ah, yeah, it'll come to me too late, but um, I just can't thank you enough. I, it, it was sort of like, okay, when you were talking about your brick and mortar store and Asia asked, do you foresee it coming back? And said, well, I, I don't know. Let's see how it is. It's not, you're not married or attached to the brick and mortar. And I see you as this person that's so wise that you almost see into the future but not it's like you're just you're going to adapt and the water's going to flow however it takes and how can i take that wisdom and not worry about what's going to happen after this pandemic or whatever 
we don't know. It's adapta adaptation in the most beautiful way. Thank you. Yeah, I think that, that does tie back to survivance. It's like, it is yes. about like celebrating what we have in each moment versus yes. fretting maybe, I don't know. Yes, yes, that's it. And oh my gosh, thank you. Wow, I just want to grab you and hug you. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much. It's been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. I'm really glad that we um, went a little farther into that intersection of ish and flow and yeah. position ourselves to feel the way this idea of survivance can be visually manifest through your work. Yeah. Thank well, you. thank you for having me join you and uh, letting me letting me share this stuff. Like I said, I don't, I don't put it out there too often, so it's um, it's 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 an honor to be able to have you guys hear it. Oh, boy, it's an honor to be on this side of the screen. Thank you. Wow. Gosh.